Greetings and welcome to episode number 15 of the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast. As always, I am your host, Chris Hales, and today I am joined by a co-host, a friend of the show and a guest before, Parker Robinson. And uh, <laughs> Glad to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Uh, you know what? I'm just, I am too tired to do the show myself today. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Okay. It's feeling like a, uh, definitely a Friday. Yeah. It yeah. is a Friday, and it is. It's been a very long week. I know that both of us are, are pretty fried. Yeah. It's been quite the week. Uh, we work together. So yeah, Parker, I appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. I for, had a blast last time. Yeah, and for those of you who are joining us for the first time, the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast is a show that features your original classical guitar music, and uh, all you have to do to have your music featured on the show is simply send an MP3 recording. To Chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com and uh, as long as it includes an audio recording of nylon string guitar it's on the show it does not need to pass any other qualifications but I want a real guitar and uh, you know if you're uh, not composing for classical guitar are you even listening to this show like, <laughs> <so>. you're <laughs> anyway. calling them out Right, you're right. saying, hey, no. hey, this is niche, and we're keeping it niche. <laughs> All right, so bug off. Yeah. Well, please listen. <laughs> no, no. Don't, no, I, don't bug off too uh, much. I, I got gotcha. you. I'm just... Yeah, no, don't, don't send me your bluegrass tune that's really cool. I mean, you can send it to me, but I can't, I'm not going to put it on the show. But uh, That's for the bluegrass composer's guitar podcast. That'll yeah, be the yeah. next podcast you I'm, I'm putting that out next year. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. Um. Uh, we're going to get straight into it today. It's actually been a slow month. I have no new submissions, but uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing because for all of those who are sending music, I don't want it to necessarily be you send the music, it's heard one time, and we all move on. I actually would like to revisit pieces from time to time. I'd eventually like to cycle back through all of them. I really enjoy these pieces, and I'm going to enjoy coming back and... Revisiting them. Revisiting them. And so we're going to do one of those today. As oftentimes you should do with music, you know. Yeah. One time, Definitely. one time listen, you know, has its benefits for sure, but there's a lot more to dig into oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. A new day, a new episode, and not necessarily a new piece today, but uh, a new conversation with my friend Parker, who is not a classical guitarist, uh, not a guitarist, period, I would say. Nope, Your not at all. Guitar chops are pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. But I like having you on the show, and here's the reason why, is this show is primarily a composition and guitar show. However, just as much, this show involves recording, and I do not know a better engineer than Parker Robinson. Um, <laughs> well, thank so, you. So, yeah, last time we had you on the show, uh, we talked a little bit about recording techniques, and uh, I'd like to just maybe revisit some of that conversation. Yeah, sure. And uh, I think we could maybe get a little deeper into it and also um, talk about, I know we've recorded together recently, and I think you pulled some pretty amazing sounds out of the guitar. So I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about that. And uh, granted, we were working in a professional studio with with high-grade stuff, but nonetheless... <laughs> The, uh, the the principles the, translate kind of regardless of where you are and what you're using. Yeah, the concepts are the yeah, same. Exactly. So uh, yeah, I'd good, like to good, talk about good some practices. Of that. Like I, in the same argument that you'd make that like good technique, good practice, 
uh, equates good music, you know, and there's there's obviously a threshold in terms of how expensive your instrument is, right? Like, do you need a is, is the most expensive instrument going to yield the best results? And it almost always d dials down to technique and theory. Right? Exactly. Same like, thing. Same thing applies with technology and recording. Certainly, that's a perfect analogy. You know, yeah. uh, Manuel Barueco is going to take a fifty-dollar piece of junk guitar, and he's going to just shred through Albanas on it. You know, <laughs> right. and it's right. going to sound so much better than me playing a two-thousand-dollar guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You well, know, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my roots are in jazz and saxophone, and you know, there's lots of stories of. You know, guys in the day pawning their saxophone, you know, yeah. for, for alcohol and then <laughs> going to. So they kind of have a, a pawned saxophone that goes in and out of the pawn shops. Nothing really fancy about it, but man, can they yeah. shred and can they play? And, <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I, I believe analogy. pretty uh, heavily in the concept of good technique, good principle. And then, you know, we're fortunate that we have access to a lot of really great equipment and gear, which is certainly an added benefit but maybe not as required as you would think mainly i guess not a deterrent for people trying to get their art out that's the biggest thing right if if the concern yeah. is i don't know how to do this or i don't have x y or z in terms of gear you know don't let that be a stifling you know measure to pro to produce stuff i'm 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 relieved to hear you say that because as someone who i make all kinds of recordings you know, frequently, right. I don't necessarily go and use the stuff that is at our disposal. <laughs> I like to work in my basement. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I am able to get a pretty good product out from my basement. And I feel a little more confident just hearing you say that. Oh, yeah, I got gotcha. Because sometimes I'm like, well, I think it sounds good, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, no, no, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I know it could be picked apart. Well, there's uh, a, there's, a, there's a, an air of skepticism that comes with it, too. Yeah. You know, we've worked together long enough that you know that, like, even when when we're in the middle of it, and you and I are looking at each other, and I'm like, "This sounds pretty great." Deep down inside, I'm going like, "You're terrible at this." This, sounds... <laughs> yeah. And I gotta, There's I gotta sleep that. on it. I gotta come back the next day, and then kind of dig into it and rip it apart, and go like, "Okay, yeah." I need to go listen to this somewhere else. Make sure. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The my first earliest recordings, like my very first ones, I think are pretty good because it was the, one of them little handheld. Uh, tape recorders right that um they have like this i don't know the thing's about a foot long and six inches wide and half of that is the speaker yeah and uh, they have a really cool sound when you you record you know some guitars it's very raw sounding it sounds like you recorded it 80 years ago <laughs> and it's, it's just kind of cool yeah. thing yeah but uh as i graduated into i bought this um digital digital recording studio this yeah. little boss i know, you know you're thing. talking about and uh i learned the ins and outs of it it was a pretty awesome thing but i i didn't know i had no idea what i was doing this is when i was like 20 years old right. and uh i played in this band and we recorded on it and uh you know i love my band and what we were doing and we had a lot of fun but the recording quality is atrocious <laughs> because we had no idea what we were doing in terms right. of recording I now think that I could take that same technology and uh, I, I really wish I could go back in time with just some of the knowledge I have now right? and use the exact same equipment. I think I could have made us a much better <laughs> recording. Yeah, no, I got it's, you. There's a lot. I'm embarrassed in terms of its quality that way. That's always the case. But uh, yep. what can you do? Hey, before we get too far into it, um, I would like to read this email. 
part of the show I like to read when people send in emails. Oh, okay. Um, this is from Andrew Aylward. Andrew uh, was featured on the show, I think he says, oh yeah, from episode six. And uh, I, of course, remember Andrew, and I was glad to hear from him again. He's responding to the previous episode. He says, Chris, hi, I just want to let you know that this major slash minor question is something that I think about often when I'm writing music. In your last episode, I was really happy to find out I am not the only one. When I first started writing my own music, I tended to favor writing in a minor key since it seemed easier to make something that sounded convincing and that people would take seriously. Since then, I have really had to force myself to write something in a major key and still find it hard to come up with good ideas. I've been continuing to follow every episode. Keep up the good work. I am hoping to record something shortly that will make it to a future episode if you are still looking for new material. Best regards, Andrew, from episode 6. So uh, Andrew's responding to, I, um, in the previous episode, talked a bit about writing in major versus minor. and We don't need to go all the way back into that, but uh, thank you for that, Andrew, very much. Thanks for responding. And um, I do think that's an interesting idea of what goes through different composers' heads. And do they even, is this even on their radar? I want to add something to that. I heard on the radio this story about Tchaikovsky wrote The Suite for Orchestra. And um, when he finished, he realized that every single piece he wrote was in 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> and uh, I guess, I, I'm not, I don't know this piece, this is just what I heard on the radio, but uh, so he actually pulled one of the movements and put in this waltz, just to add some variance. So Tchaikovsky had thoughts like this. Yeah. So, you know, why can't we? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and Andrew, I think today we will re-feature your piece from episode six. And uh, we'll, we will look forward to hearing that at the ep end of the episode. And uh, if any of you are listening and want to jump in and comment on anything, uh, you can also send an email to chris at classicalguitarcomposers.com. That's All really right. cool, by the way. What's that? I, uh, for the people listening, it's worth knowing, Chris has told me nothing about what we're talking about today, and I didn't know that. Well, it makes sense, but like just reading an email from a listener, that's really cool. You know, having some back and forth and dialogue about... You yeah, know, the things that you're addressing and talking about. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. I like uh, I, I I enjoy talking with the listeners and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. In fact, yeah, we we haven't talked at all about what we're gonna do today. Other than I said I I told you I wanted to talk a little more about recording, and uh, even just on the fly here, we decided to do the podcast now all at once with Parker as a co-host rather than an interview shoehorned into the podcast. Right. And, uh, just winging it. Yeah. We're just winging it. So anyway, should we talk some recording? Yeah, sure. All right. <clears throat> so, um, we recently recorded a couple of shows, uh, featuring acoustic guitar and I really liked the sound you were getting out of these guitars. And one show we recorded had some classical guitar in it. And uh, I just wanted you to talk maybe a little bit about what you did for miking and how you utilized the room we had, what went into those decisions, and sure. so forth. So um, to give context maybe about uh, what the, the guitar, like the recordings were for, Chris and I work for a company that makes accompaniment tracks for Broadway musicals. And it's really cool because we benefit from working in any genre you could imagine, really. 
And so oftentimes we're trying to find um, like a good neutral base to record things, but then we also try to, you know, emphasize for style different options. Um, I think one of the things we were running into, uh, we, we just moved, or the company just moved to a different studio space. I guess it would have been in September? Yeah, something like that. September. And it, it was still warm at the time. It was still warm, yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's a good point. We remembered things at the office by whether it's freezing cold or yeah. really warm. We're in Utah, so the it's extremely hot in the summers and extremely cold in the winters. Um, our, our previous There studio, are people in Canada rolling their eyes I know, out exactly. right now, but I don't care. Exactly. Uh, I'm sure there we're are, freezing, there okay? are many of you who have yeah. it way worse, okay? I'm not trying <laughs> to minimize your thing, okay? Um, in our previous studio space, uh, it, it was a very like baseline kind of functional room. It's a business park that had been kind of repurposed for a studio. Uh, the, 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 the things that become a struggle when you're recording, but especially things that are acoustic or um, very live and dynamically on the softer side. Acoustic guitar is a good example of something like that. Dialogue is a good example of that. Oftentimes, a problem that you'll run into is your noise floor, essentially how loud is the environment you're recording in versus the instrument that you're recording. So in our previous studio, it was it was okay, usable for a very long time. We were there for years and made it work. Um, and what spurred the necessity for us to move from that studio is our, our neighbors next door, are, there was some type of manufacturer for airplane parts, I think. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. We still don't really know. At some point, they bought like a hydrosonic press. You know, like I, I, I never actually saw it, but from the name, I'm assuming it's one of those things that like will cut metal using a, a stream of water. You know, I think so. I think that's what it is. Really, really. For us, it meant this very high-pitched nasally whine coming day, through the vents all day long, through the wall, through the vents, you know, with and about like twenty-second pauses, twenty seconds of yeah of nasal. It whine. it became it was a deal breaker. It just was <laughs> ruining our workflow, and we had to like record twenty seconds at a time. And try to like kind of bob and weave around this press and 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 that and let's was just say it that the neighbors were pricks. Yeah, the neighbors were very difficult to deal with as well. <laughs> they initially said that they were going to be running it for like a, a single two week period, yeah. and then ended up being like pretty much eight to five, like four days a week. Not once did um, we ever ask them not to run it. We just asked when they'd be running it <laughs> so we could work around it. Yeah, and, and yeah. they anyway. So. <laughs> The hydrosonic press, that represents the worst case scenario that required, like, that was the last straw that kind of required us to move because it it was going to be a, probably a permanent thing for them. So one of the benefits of us moving is that we, we moved to a different location that is much better suited as a recording facility. There's a lot more isolation in terms of what our tracking room sounds like in our, in our um, control room. And because of that, we were able to implement some different recording techniques that I would have liked to have done all the, all the time at our previous studio, but really couldn't get away with. So we were recording acoustic guitar on a show that was, um, I guess it was kind of rocky, uh, rock-ish, Broadway rock-ish music, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily relevant. It, it was, can we say what it is? I, I don't know. I don't know why we wouldn't be able to. 
Um, um, I don't know. I mean, there's no reason we couldn't. Or, yeah. Or, um, we don't, yeah it's we, a, it just hasn't been officially released yet is the, yeah, the thing. That's, so. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to say this. It's a horror movie musical. It's a horror movie musical and, uh, that has kind of like contemporary bro uh, like Broadway-ish style rock music to it. It's pretty cool. Very we, much. Uh, I, I very I dig it. Yeah, and and interestingly enough, Chris and I we typically work on different phases. Like Chris does a lot of work in like the beginning and middle section, pre-production, middle production. And we're all spread out throughout the whole process, but in terms of where we do a lot of the bulk of our work, I, I didn't hear anything from this show until it got ready to record. So I on this particular show, I didn't do anything in pre-production when it landed in the studio for bookings for recording, that's the first I heard it. And by then, I guess you already really kind of dug it and were excited to be able to record guitars for it. I couldn't wait. I heard um, the original Broadway cast recordings um, for tempo reference. Right. And um, so just setting the tempos, I got familiar with the music. Yeah, I, I really liked the show. And this show had um, two two guitar books. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah two, two guitar books and yeah, both very books. Cool. Both books had electric guitar and acoustic guitar. Yeah, called for twelve string, steel string, and nylon. Yeah, yeah. and both playing some pretty cool uh, electric stuff it as was, well. It was some of the most fun guitar parts I've, I've found. Show was uh, totally <laughs> awesome. We all kind of fell in love with it, and this was the first one of the first times we were going to be recording. This was the first time we were recording acoustic guitar in our new studio environment, and so. Um, we're using, and, and we typically use two like small condenser diaphragm, uh, small diaphragm condenser microphones. Those are the ones that kind of look like pencils referred to as pencil condenser microphones, you know? And, um, I'd like to use them in, in, I'm not going to say every case, but in a lot of cases in what's called an XY pattern, which if you guys Google this, you'll be able to find it. If you, if you Google microphone technique XY, You'll see a picture of this, but it's it's really just like the two caps of the microphone lined up one directly on top of the other in kind of a 90 degree angle. And the reason for that is um, you get a stereo recording, which is two sources or more. Two sources really is all you need for stereo, obviously. But because the capsules are aligned up over each other, it's very phase coherent. And so it has uh, a really... It's it's excellent at capturing kind of the natural sound of the instrument. You're not necessarily trying to get how it interacts with the room. Um, but because we're in a new studio and the noise floor is so low, we don't have busy neighbors. We don't have to have air conditioner running. The noise floor, just the sound of the room is so low, I was able to back those microphones away from the guitar pretty significantly. In our older place, we'd have to be hugged up pretty close on the guitar. So the same... You'd still favor the XY, just closer to the guitar. Yeah, typically. Okay. And sometimes I'd split it to what's called a space pair, which is really the two microphones spaced out about right. 18 inches apart. And one would be, you know, when you're close miking, you can get away with... The, the, the dangers of close miking is that you pick up the sound of the, the instrument being played more. Uh, so, like, you're going to get more noise of the fingers on the frets and the picking of the strings and depending on the genre and the style that might be exactly what you want you know some people like that yeah um and it it may be totally totally appropriate i like a tasteful amount myself yeah. but if you if you imagine if you're at a guitar recital um 
you're not hearing those to the degree you are with close miking and yeah compression so, and stuff, uh, so the good argument to make is is especially with something like guitar at no point are you sticking your head eight <laughs> inches from the guitar to listen and enjoy so it seems like and when i say that it kind of seems like a no dust so it seems like an odd thing that we would record that way right yeah i, I mean um, i guess the the player often you know from the player's perspective you're very close you're hearing a lot of these things but yeah. it's not the same so yeah. yeah yeah that being said last time we talked about the need for close miking yeah and recording it in home which the reason we were close miking yeah. more closely previously was to get um more rejection of the the room of the like the environment right so we could emphasize the sound of the guitar so which i'm also doing uh to to be clear like I record this way at home. Yeah, I don't, oh yeah. I don't. Yeah. I record in my basement. The mic's close, so yeah. it's it's not a bad thing, Parker. Uh, yeah, that's a good emphasis I've, to I've make. I'm saying yeah. that's not what Parker's saying. Yeah, yes. It, but we are talking about the problems you have to try to overcome. The the, the biggest the biggest thing making. I think when it comes to the, the the aspects of production that are like recording, editing, mixing, mixing and recording certainly, everything that is said can have like this caveat of it depends because it really really does right like <laughs> yeah um it's your answer for everything it, it, it pretty much is you know i learned that when i was in college the first day of recording studio one right the teacher stood up and said i'm gonna like i'm so excited you guys are here and uh his name's bart share bart if you're listening i don't know if he ever would be i don't know if he's a guitarist but bart shares the man <laughs> i love that guy he just said like we're going to talk a lot about like the nitty gritty of recording and we're going to get into, you know, the principles of, of acoustics and the physics of it. Um, but when it comes to like the artistic aspect of recording, right, because it's it's a lot of technical stuff. It's, you know, the type of microphone and, and the, the routing of it, all of it is pretty hands on. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to facilitate a musical performance. So. We were close miking in our we were close miking in our older studio, out of maybe necessity, and it's not to say that we were getting bad stuff out of of those recordings either. It's just based on the type of show, the environment that you're in. There's a lot of arguments that you could make and can make and should make about what is the best practice for your project. That's the main thing, because even the way that I preferred to record it for this time, just so to finish the visualization with the XY pattern on the microphones. We were backed off from the guitar, like I'd probably say five, six feet, maybe. Yeah. And so. um, that has the potential to introduce a lot of room noise. We were in a very neutral sounding room, thanks to our new tracking facility. Um, and so it ends up being something that seems very, very natural in terms of it sitting in a mix. It it kind of does a lot of the lifting for you, you know, and then. Um, so we actually have done, uh, I guess, three different shows and different recordings now. Um, is it three? Two? I guess it's two. Um, yeah. And we did. You and I have done two. Yeah. In with, this new, in this, the in, guitars. This, uh, in this new studio anyway. You, you've had someone else come in. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and, and the reason, the two reasons to use those microphones in that setup uh, for me, would be to try to capture the most natural and organic sound of the guitar um, possible. And 
in the description of it, it kind of seems like that would be the no-duh approach. But there are sometimes when you need, you might need more sound of like pluck and struck. You might you want those things to be like, if you're playing like, you know, I recently I also did um, the recording for like a traditional jazz band, like a trad jazz band playing a lot of like, you know, 40s, 50s era, maybe even earlier, you know, jazz stuff. And, and it was really, uh, they live tracked, which I number one love, um, but it can be intimidating because there's a drum kit next to an acoustic bass, next to an acoustic guitar. They're sitting three feet from each other with no amplification, no bass amp, you know, and so that required the closest guitar <laughs> miking you could possibly imagine. And in that case, I was using a dynamic microphone very, very, very close to the guitar. And the dynamic microphone is used specifically because it's it's far more directional and it can reject the sound of the other instruments in the room better. And in that case, as close as I could possibly be with a different type of microphone, much higher gain because it's a dynamic microphone and it has in in concept the exact opposite you know, the, approach than what we did. The condenser is sucking in all the sound from around it, essentially. Yeah, I think the condenser probably... Uh, uh, sucking in is a, is a good way of describing it. I would think that... I typically think of it as like the condenser like can see farther, can see more in the room. Okay. You know what I mean? But but that's the other kind of caveat or you know downhill slope for engineers, particularly engineers and producers use every nonsensical phrase you could imagine <laughs> for music, right? We were just doing – Chris and I have been recording drum kit for this new round of shows, and it's been really, really awesome. But you say stuff like, you know, that, that – we're doing sound check. It was like, you know, the kick for me right now is sounding a little tubby, <laughs> yeah. and I want it to sound more centered and tight, right? And we addressed that by changing the microphone position. That was it. We didn't swap the <laughs> drum kit. We didn't swap the kit. We just we adjusted preamps. We adjusted microphones. And so you say things like, I'd like that to be warmer or brighter, or, you know, I'd like this to be more centered, or I'd like this to be sweeter, you know? Last night, uh, along those lines, because these are, these are happening late at night, um, yeah, they have been recently. Hence, late, we're late so loopy. Uh, I I could not think of how to say to to our drummer, "I'm going to give you one bar in," you know, like or, yeah. or whatever. Like I, I just one wanted bar to tell him off before his entrance. Yeah, it, which you say, you know, 800 times over the course of the session. But I, I guess I felt like I needed to say it in new ways or something. But it right. became the most cumbersome thing to say. You're gonna hear four clicks and then play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the 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 vocabulary is uh, really kind of a interesting or not necessarily a hard thing, but yeah, the 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 approaches between the recordings that we were doing and versus with this live tracking trad jazz band were like as polar opposite as you possibly could be. You know what I mean? Like there was no, there was nothing similar in in terms of approach. But um, the idea was that you cater what you cater what is available to you and what's appropriate for what you're trying to achieve. And so, in that in that sense, in this jazz band, the guitar is responsible. And you know, in this type of setup, there's there might not there might not be a piano, in which case the guitar in that type of jazz combo setting is responsible for doing almost all of the harmonic lifting. You know what I mean? The bass is going to be playing very centered around roots, fifths, traditional jazz stuff, and, and not going to be harmonically doing as much 
um, than, you know, more contemporary or modern jazz. And so the guitarist is doing a lot of lifting, but they're also doing like, you know, chunky, you know, <laughs> right. chaka chaka, you know. Like smacking those strings. Yeah. And yeah. the guy knowing, I mean, he's a phenomenal guitarist and he knows what genre he's playing in, and you watch him play and you can tell he's like beating the crap out of his guitar to get this really signature old school sound. And so the microphone chosen, the technique chosen was specifically to try to capture his vintage aesthetic with no amplification mm, and cool. polar opposite approach than like a nylon string classical guitar. <laughs> right. But the point being that neither of those approaches was necessarily better than the other. It's just it was the appropriate method for that project on that day in that room with that group, you know. So uh, there's there's very rarely things that I I would say are like hands down the only way to do something when it comes to recording. And that opens up a lot of doors for people who are trying to record like what you have is what you have, you know. So if if, you know, we we had the benefit of using some really great gear in a controlled environment and getting sounds that we really liked that sat well in the mix that seemed really natural and organic. And then I used, you know, an $80 microphone in a live setting with this guitarist and it was just as relevant and just as useful, you know. Right. Um going back to the nylon we recorded. Um what would you say the height was on those mics? Oh. Uh good point. Um I know with close miking you get extremely different results. Yeah. Based on height and personally for me, I I've kind of I like it a little up pointing down at the guitar. Yeah. I found when I mic'd low, I it was I was getting a very tubby sound. <laughs> I was getting these There you go, tubby sound. Good use. It it is tubby it, the very thumpy almost airy bass uh tones low frequencies i should yeah. say not bass tones but like low frequency mud yeah. getting yeah. in there uh bringing the mic up and pointing it downward a little bit just kind of uh gave me a little more yeah sparkle to it and got rid of all that extra yeah sure i can i can explain that too so okay. that kind of build up of low or middle frequency stuff that's making it seem kind of tubby is is called proximity effect and I can actually demonstrate right now so we're talking to these microphones the closer I get to the microphone like the more emphasized you're gonna hear like those mid lows and so that that concept is called proximity effect and it's real not just for your voice obviously and so that's another uh, I'm glad you brought that up the microphones we were using you would think that they'd be just kinda like level with the guitar pointed right at the guitar but it's not necessarily the, the sound that I wanted. I didn't necessarily want exactly directional sound pointed directly at it. Because if, if I'm sitting and you're sitting and you're playing guitar and I'm five feet away from you, my ears are going to be, you know, two, three feet higher than your guitar. That's what I'm used to hearing. I'm not used to squatting two feet from the ground or three feet from the ground and listening. And so I suppose so. Um, <laughs> so the technique used is to be. Those microphones were higher up. If if we were standing, I'd probably say just under, ch I don't know, between your chest and your belly button, maybe. Um, and not necessarily angled directly down facing the guitar, but still angled slightly down, you know, maybe towards your chest, which is maybe right where the guitar, the top of the guitar is. And the whole approach for that is to try to mitigate some of that proximity effect. Now, 
if we're five feet away, we're not going to be getting that. The proximity effect stuff is really for pretty close miking, and it's also one of the reasons why close miking a kick drum or a snare drum is awesome because that those are the tones that you want. You right. want to be close, and you want to hear the snap and crackle on that, you know. And that's that's oftentimes how that's achieved. Um, but uh, to use more engineering terms, right? You're using tubby and low and mid and kind of based up. You raise that up and you angle it a little bit. Go, by going a little off axis, you emphasize a little bit more of the room tone and open up maybe, uh, how would you describe, like an airiness to the tone mm -hmm. that, that seems very, very natural. And that's, so that's exactly why that approach was used as well. And if, if you're trying to mic up a guitar or trying to mic up anything, you know, and you're finding that you're close to the tone you want or there's one thing that you want to address that you wish you could address, you know, there is an argument now and kind of always to, to like we can fix that in post and now with all the recording technology we have that's really is a thing but you know the the changing of a microphone even an inch or two inches or going you know so like if you feel like you're too close or you're too boxy you could go right three inches on the mic stand and then angle the microphone back towards the guitar you know that's you getting less directional sound and more kind of off shot sound and like even small adjustments like that typically equate a pretty significant change in tone. So it also just comes down to a lot of experimentation. You record at home and I've heard your recordings and they sound great because you know what your room sounds like and you know what your gear sounds like and you know what your microphone sounds like. And so it really kind of doesn't even matter what gear you're using. It's just that you're very familiar with it and you've taken the time to know uh, how far do I need to be? How do I need to set that up? How do I gain stages properly, right? You've taking the time to know that and to blow that up to a bigger degree a really good engineer will have just done that a lot you know right like in a whole bunch of different rooms a whole bunch of different environments right like you know so they can just can hone in on that sound faster yeah well there, there is something to say to be said about like instinct and stuff but so much of good recording technique is trial and error and practice just, I mean, basically like playing an instrument too, you know, like, um, you know, so I know how I wouldn't approach miking a trombone or a vocalist because I will have screwed that up already. <laughs> like I will, I will know what I don't like. I'll have tried it and it won't have worked. Right. And so, <laughs> We're not doing that again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of it is that way. And, and to that point we were recording one show and it was a, um, jazz combo oriented show and we got about halfway through the show and the session ended and in reviewing the tracks I wanted just a little bit more isolation on the snare microphone from the hi-hat for example and so Chris and I spent a little bit of time and the only thing we changed was the position of the snare microphone and it was within two inches of, of what it kind of always was but it was able to mitigate and, and remove, you know, enough of that hi-hat bleed to be much more usable. So, like, achieving that goal was moving the microphone, angling it very slightly differently. And tons of, tons of good engineering practices, small adjustment and refinement like that. It applies to everything. Acoustic guitar, really kind of anything. Hey, you listen to a lot of different guitar recordings, and they don't all sound the same. Yeah. So, you know, there's not necessarily a right answer 
Yeah. But there's probably lots of wrong answers, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard plenty of those. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 I guess if, if it's, uh, in terms of like, what are the most egregious, maybe bad practices if you're new to recording or you're finding that your recordings aren't achieving what you want. My first guess, not even hearing or talking to someone would, would almost always be that they're recording too loudly. Oftentimes people record too loud. You know, if you're, if your gain is turned up on your preamp too much, you know, you're you're capturing a lot of things that you don't necessarily want in terms of how your room sounds or how your clothes sound when you're shuffling and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, in terms of there being good practices implies that there's also bad practices, but um, it's really um, a trial and error, you know, process. And mentorship and having guidance goes a really long way too because, you know, I, you know I, I benefited while I was in school by having... Uh, a teacher there who was really anxious to just like show someone everything that they knew. And I was really anxious to just like be in the room and be involved with that stuff. And so it ended up being very beneficial for me because we'd show up to something and be like, you could try this, you could try this, you could try this, you could try this, this might not work, this might not work, but here's how I'm going to do it. Here's why. Listen, you know, and then he just kind of like bugged off and let me go screw it up a whole bunch and then arrive to my own conclusions. And, you know, yeah. that was really valuable. I have to admit, um, most of my studio, not experience, but um, the more valuable experience came after school because they started to offer some recording studio stuff toward the end, mm. and I was I was in full gear trying to get through it. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. My wife was pregnant at the time, and I remember I, I literally fell asleep in recording studio every day. <laughs> right, right. And it's very interesting. It was not. <laughs> just, yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. It was gotcha. at the worst possible time of day, and I actually regretted for a long time, like how I let a lot of that experience go. But it was just right. <laughs> that no, I got gotcha. you. That particular uh, period of my life, man, I was very just. I just, I needed to Senior be done with school. And, and, yeah. and Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, I you know, was working full-time in addition to right. the school and, you know, kids and, and all that stuff. My wife was really sick with that yeah. last pregnancy the whole time, so there was a lot of... Mm. So anyway, um, there was, I was like probably the opposite of you. Like, <laughs> this this night's op optional? Okay. Peace ah, out. I got you. I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go make dinner. Yeah. No, I hear, I hear <laughs> yeah. you. I hear you. But uh, you know, since then, I've done a lot of recording and and kind of. Yeah. However, I do remember a lot of stuff, and you know, a thing that um, at the time, I guess that it was we were in a really amazing facility, and you know, we were using gear that. I was not going to be able to get my hands on anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I guess. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I want to take a quick moment to say this. Hey, like me, are you addicted to sheet music? Then let me tell you about Encoda. Encoda is an app that lets you practice, play, and perform your sheet music. It is a streaming service similar to Netflix and Spotify with tens of thousands of titles. That's millions of pages of sheet music available instantly at your fingertips. Subscribers have access to the finest editions from Boozy and Hawks, Baron Ryder, Chester, Novello, and many, many more. And they have received praise from Sir Simon Rattle and Joyce D. Donato. And if you're not sure, you can sign up for a free trial. Download Encoda from your app store today. That's Encoda. N-K-O-D-A. And be sure to let them know that the Classical Guitar Composers Podcast sent you. 
I, I do not mark it as explicit. Yeah. So. You said prick, and I think you're pushing it, buddy. Is prick a swear word? No, I don't know. No. I mean, I know it's it's maybe i I'm just wondering, should I beep those out? No, 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 no. If you bleep yeah. the word prick out, everyone's going to think you say something way worse than prick. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think... <laughs> what did he call that guy? Exactly. I don't think you should bleep it. No, no, I'm, I'm just a, being funny. No. It's a family-friendly show. Yeah, no, I'm just and being We talk funny. about horror movies. I'm and... just being funny. Yeah. <laughs> or trying, anyway. Yeah, well, no, you're succeeding. <laughs> I don't know. Everything's funny to me right now. <laughs> I need some sleep. This is kind of like the end of... Yeah. School and I'm in recording studio class. Exactly. And... No, this is yeah. way more fun. You know, Parker. You would... what? I'm I'm excited for arriving at Friday night because I can just go to bed. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed early tonight. And it's Are gonna you? be the best way of spending a Friday. I say that, but you know I'm an insomniac, so that's <laughs> probably not gonna happen. I have a either. feeling you're going to be working on some project tonight. That's so. true. You already know what I'm. Well, I'm not. Working I shouldn't on. encourage it. But yeah. 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 No. Hey. Yeah. You need to get that done, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one show we recently worked on was a musical called We Will Rock You, which is a bunch of Queen songs. Um, I think it's all collect- Queen music, isn't it's, it? It's all Queen music. Yeah. They've, they've crafted um, a whole storyline around all of the, the yeah, big Queen hits. Much like Mamma Mia yeah. and, and whatnot. So uh, I know you're a big Queen fan. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I've always liked Queen, but... There comes a point where, you know, like, Killer Queen comes on the radio, and <laughs> I change it. Yeah, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've heard it a lot. So I've always I've always really, like, respected Queen. I, they're a very talented band. I think Brian May's a, a great guitar player. Yeah. Um, I've never been into them. I got you. However, when we uh, did the show, I, I heard a lot of songs I've never heard before. Yeah. And they were really cool. Yeah. Uh, one song I really, really like that I did not know until we did the show was Innuendo. Yeah. That is yeah. such a cool song. So then I went back and listened to the original Queen in Innuendo, which the entire thing is not included in the musical. I, yeah. I think that one has like this killer acoustic guitar section, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I want you to tell me some Queen songs because I, I have developed a new respect for Queen. And I'm wondering if you you got any suggestions of of a good rabbit hole to go down with Queen. Well, uh, uh, my my favorite stuff, it's kind of all over the place with Queen, and that's kind of why I like Queen. And you bring up a good point where, you know, Killer Queen comes online, uh, comes on the radio or something, or or something that's very very familiar, like Bicycle, mm-hmm. or you know, crazy little thing called Love, and yeah. and a lot of those uh, we will rock you. I, I yeah. changed the show auto, or changed the channel yeah. automatically. We will yeah. rock you. Yeah. So like. I Did, think the, the, the... I will listen to We Are the Champions when a sports team I care about wins the championship. <laughs> yeah. And, until then. Yeah. Anyway. And, and you know, I, I think you bring up a good point in that the things that are, like, hailed as the, the top pedestal of quit Queen music in terms of their hits, I think are great. Admittedly, being a Queen fan, I do really like them. But I would say that there's so much in their discography that is very far removed from the things that are they're like most known for that have a lot more appeal innuendo is a great example although that is you know yeah it had a really, music video yeah really popular song i've never heard it they and, don't and they don't of, play it on yeah, k-bear exactly <laughs> and a lot of people you know don't know how much music queen actually released 
you know, how many albums they actually made just because, like, if you think of Queen, you could name, like, everyone could name, like, five songs and they'd probably all be the same five songs, right? And Bohemian Rhapsody is, is like, at the very tippy top of the list, but even, even everything else on that album from Bohemian Rhapsody, like, there's, I don't know, so... The love for Bohemian Rhapsody is completely warranted, in my opinion. I think it's an amazing song. But I think if someone were to listen from beginning to end to that album, they would not have the same connection with that album that they do with that single song. And that's where it's kind of interesting. My, the songs that I, there are two songs that stick out to me in particular as being ones that I absolutely adore. And it's for kind of funny, not really funny, but kind of weird reasons that are specific to me. But they also represent why I think Queen is so cool. One of them is uh, the first time I heard this song um, was they have a Live in Montreal album, and it's a song that they perform on this tour. And in the recording, Freddie announces it like they're working on it, they're about to record it. This is one of the first times that they played it, and it's just an acoustic guitar playing and Freddie Mercury singing. It's called Love of My Life, an amazing song. It just like when I first heard it, it just resonated with me immediately. And compared to everything that's like their huge massive hits, just acoustic guitar, just vocal, it's incredible. And then you go listen to the album and it has insane vocal stackings. Like Freddie Mercury singing stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of vocals that now are kind of, they're taken for granted and that they're not that difficult to do. But at the time, mind-blowing at how he would have done those. And then the other song that I really, really love uh, is <laughs> um, from the movie Highlander. I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew this, but Queen did the music for the movie yeah, I, Highlander. I did know that. Yeah. And number one, I love the movie Highlander for all of, <laughs> for everything about it. I love everything about it. It's just Christopher Lambert. He's he, he's French, but he's playing an Irishman. What is his accent? Who knows? <laughs> Who cares? Sean Connery's in it, and this is the movie that made him like not want to do sci-fi movies anymore. And he plays like. <laughs> He plays an Egyptian who's a Spaniard who fights with a katana. It's just incredible. Uh, and But there's a song called Who Wants to Live Forever that Freddie Mercury kind of wrote while doing the production for Highlander. And the, the song doesn't actually end up in the movie, if I recall. But they ended up doing like a big – no, oh, it's definitely in the movie. Uh, but they ended up doing like a full like music video after it, and the music video is gloriously cheesy. Yeah, um, I, I do know this. Yeah, one. I think well, I this, probably would have showed it well, to you. Well, this one's in We Will Rock You. Yeah. So I looked it yeah. up for reference. So We Will Rock You has it. And then also the movie um, that they made, um, but uh, it's, a, it's just called Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Rami Malek. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. like the kind of the biopic. The recent thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, they played a lot of like really awesome, like I, I call, they're not really deep cuts, but you know, those songs yeah. were, were they in They hit the B-sides a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked it. I haven't uh, seen that. In terms so. of, like, that show has Hammerfall in it. Hammerfall is just a cool yeah. rock song. Hammerfall is cool. You know? Um, but in terms of album, like, I, I think that uh, a Queen experience would be to go listen to, uh, like, Night at the Opera. <laughs> Night at the Opera is okay. a, a great album. They have an album called Jazz um, that has a bunch of their hits on it, but then a lot of the other songs that are on it that aren't, like in their top 10 are also really, really good. And it's funny that it's named Jazz, and it's just, <laughs> I mean. You directed me to a really weird one once. 
I did. Uh, yeah, um, and I do not remember the name of it, but it was not. It was. It had some very ethnic stuff going on. Uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank. And I don't dare say point it toward any. I mean, was there like a Hebrew type of thing? Oh, Mustafa. Yeah, um, that's gotta be it. Yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm saying that right. I'm pretty sure that's. I, what I'm, it I'm almost afraid to to venture. I can't remember it well yeah. enough to say what what was going yeah, on. Mustafa, it, Mustafa. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Definitely, there's like a okay. a very like Hebrew like uh, clarinet solo section and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah. not what I was expecting. It was pretty yeah. cool. Exactly. I was intrigued very much. Yeah, because like, you go because yeah. you you think Queen, you go okay, we will rock you, and you think of the kind of operatic elements in Bohemian Rhapsody and then you find out that they've written things like crazily the thing called love or Mustafa or like Radio Gaga right like Radio Gaga is just that's kind such of a, a, okay that's one I didn't know until we did the yeah, show it, it, and it's just like uh, I really like the song I, I thought the words were just so stupid yeah like, I, I, and I gotta say um, <laughs> yeah same thing same thing like and, and then you know, just um, another one bites the dust. You're right. Like contextually, is like all of their hits are kind of just so far removed from one another. One another. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it is. They're just like a, pretty cool. They're kind of a mashup band. You know, something I've always struggled with with Queen, and I, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I it just doesn't land well with my ear. But it's the way they're they're very thick harmonized. When you're talking about those Freddie stacks, yeah. I don't know if that's for example, in the song Somebody to Love, I really like that song. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. I don't necessarily care for the constant background vocals. Yeah. And the... There's a, there's it's a lot of... Saturated it's very saturated. It's kind with, of call and response. And yeah. The, the, and it the, is saturated. The response it. element of it the is response like really stuff. dense. So it's very dense. On top of that, it, it there's kind of like a lot of falsetto type of yeah. sound. I, I just don't like it. Yeah. You know, I got gotcha. uh, to each his own. I've always, I've always struggled with that, and I know it's like part of their signature sound. Yeah, well, it, be their vocals, it became but... part of their signature sound, but they had, they had a lot of music before that was even a thing. Like before that was something that they were pretty well known for. You yeah. know, because like those, those are the standout yeah, yeah. ones. Yeah, because you got like the really high. They got, they got really into falsetto. to doing vocal layers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I don't change that song when it comes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sucker for the sappy ballad type of. Yeah, uh, I hear you. Well, that's cool. Um, all right, I'm gonna look into uh, what was the first song you named again? Because I I have heard "Who Wants to Live Forever" many times. What was that other one? The acoustic oh, guitar and Freddie. Uh, "Love of My Life." "Love of My Life." Yeah. I, I'm gonna check that out. Uh, look at look at it specifically on that album. It's I will. live in Montreal, 1972. It's a really, really well-recorded and mixed album. And Queen also has released a whole bunch of their albums live, mm -hmm. and they're incredible. I, I I, tend to gravitate towards, if I love a band, I want to go listen to their live albums. And I find that the bands that I love the most are the ones that have really killer live albums. And it's it's just something that I love. I, I, I love to hear a band that can just really play well live. You realize that you're talking to a deadhead. You're a deadhead. Yeah, I knew uh, that. So that... Uh, and and you 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 uh, introduced me to Little Feet and uh, <laughs> yeah I had never listened to a band like that and the album that you referred me to is a live album and I've since fallen in love with that album yeah you know that's good that's good stuff yeah so uh, that album especially is a standout excellent one and you can find it anywhere you know my wife and I once had a discussion about um, 
like if you were going to attempt to turn someone into a Grateful Dead fan, like what is their quintessential album? What album do you hand them and say, listen to this, <laughs> and if you love it, you're then you'll like the Grateful you're, Dead. Yeah, if you hate it, then we can't be friends. Like, oh, okay, I get what you're uh, saying. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> but like, you know, what is yeah. the and we, you know, we both kind of had the same top two choices, but but both favored that. So hers, hers was American Beauty, mm. which is that you cannot argue against American Beauty being their their best album. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's oh, I got gotcha. you. And you can't argue with like. This is the Grateful Dead. If you want somebody to know what the Grateful Dead are, like here, here is the root of this band. This is the core of this band, right. and it all stems from music like this. Um, I, I, I more favored Europe '72, which is a live album. Uh, yeah, we that, pull we pull up that album for reference when we were yeah calibrating and I, setting up the you asked me to, the new well, studio. Yeah, Ramble on Rose. Yeah, my favorite Grateful Dead song. Hey Scott. Do you have a favorite Grateful Dead song? I'm curious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, Europe 72 is the one I would say. I guess 72 you know. is a killer year because Montreal Live 72 for Queen is my favorite Queen album. Oh, yeah, there must have yeah. been something magical about 72. Wouldn't it be hilarious if that Little Feet album was released in 1972 It could well? be. I have no idea. I, I don't a know good, a, good a year. real deep. Really good well, year. It's a transitional period for the Grateful Dead at yeah. this time. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a nice. Yeah, it's just nice. I hear you. Uh, all right, and I know uh, you, you want to talk about it. Yeah, jumping subjects now. Yeah, but uh, the context in the short story would be that you and another one of our coworkers have like just this burning love for horror movies, and it's intense. And you guys have like power rankings of like. <laughs> The Halloween franchise and the Nightmare on Elm Street franchises, and it like it, it's evolving and it's changing, and I I don't necessarily feel left out of that, but I mentioned that I wanted to dip the toe in watching some of those movies, and so we have watched some of those movies, uh, mainly Stephen King, really. I mean, we watched Changeling, which is not a Stephen King movie, which I really really liked. Fantastic movie, yeah, amazing movie. Yeah. I had I knew nothing about it going into it. It was just the right amount of spooky, extremely well made. It's got a lot he's, of really cool sound design yeah. elements in it. That he's are talking awesome. about the. It's from like 1980. Oh the yeah, horror movie. We're not talking the Angelina Jolie. No, no, thing. no, no, no. And you're. I mean, it's just such a cool premise. This composer. Oh yeah, I yeah. talked about this on the podcast. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, because it's a composer horror. If you movie. haven't seen it, yeah. it's so great, and it's not. It's it's not gross. It's like it, it, it's not gory. Anything like that. It's I think Safer it's a, work. Is it yeah. a PG thirteen? No, it's R. But it's R. By today's standards, it's not really pretty soft PG thirteen. Yeah. By today's there's standards, there's no. Uh, it would have come out in like the seventies. There's no naked ladies. There's no. Um, I don't. There's probably not even a lot of swearing, if any. Yeah. So I don't remember anything. It's so. really not. It doesn't have a it lot of been, the, the things that would yeah. normally make your horror movie R. It's not gory. It's just kind it's of spooky it's scary. Yeah, and it's, it's really spooky. good. Yeah. So we have uh, we watched we watched the new Halloween movie, but in preparation for that, my wife and I watched the original Halloween, which I had seen before. She hadn't seen it. Anyway, so we watched Halloween. We watched um, um, a bunch of other, a couple other movies, and then we just we're gonna watch it. And the reason we watched it is because it chapter two was gonna be released on Blu-ray and. Our coworker, like he loves 
it. It's like his. It's his, he. Lo- he loves the movies. This iteration of the movies he really likes. I don't know what his opinion is of the book necessarily, but I just know he loves these movies. He hasn't read the book, I don't think. But gotcha. Uh, and he hates the miniseries, I believe. Yeah, hates the miniseries, but, uh, but he he loves. He has like an movies. unhealthy love for these movies. <laughs> so uh, my... I said to him today, I said I need a reason to get you on the podcast, and he's like, "Why?" I said, "Well, so you can argue about it." I yeah, I said I know Parker wants to defend it a little bit. I know your defense would be extremely passionate, but my uh, my my position on it is uh, positive moderate. Okay. You know, like, and the thing I want to talk about is probably the reason that, like, it doesn't get a shining endorsement from me. Well, first off, it you made liked me, it though, right? Yeah, I did it. like it. I did okay. enjoy it, but it made me. Uh, I think it made me feel how it's exactly supposed to make you feel, like, kind of like uh, slimy and oozy and gross and like sad, you know, because it's about him just terrorizing kids and feeding off their fear and all that stuff. So, um, yes, I did like it, uh, and I do like it. Um, I think. Man, <laughs> Skarsgård who plays it. Oh, he was, was fantastic. like supremely creepy. Like uh, he was fantastic. Yeah, I, I will give am it. so unner- unnerved by him in that role. It was like <laughs> perfect, and I am also endeared to the fact that it's like a really crass and sweary version of the Goonies, and so like that's that's gonna kind of okay. win me over because I I. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a big. Me too. Yeah, it's me a, too. I love nothing more than swearing children. Yeah. Like, yeah. The uh, my only review of Goonies is that it would need way more like accurate, appropriate thirteen and fourteen year old cursing, and it well, kinda it hits was the... appropriate in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. The Goonies. Okay, wait, yeah. hang on now. We got. <laughs> you know, the Goonies is like. Yeah. Uh, I I have not like made a list of my favorite movies, but Goonies is. Yeah. battling for the top spot it yeah. might happen yeah yeah you've, but you've those those times. kids remind me of me and my friends to a certain degree right um and so do the kids in stranger things to a certain right. degree right yeah yeah i and, know and, I yeah, get it that. has that element and so, you know what i said to jeremy after it what? I saw it. I said I liked it better when it was called Stranger Things, <laughs> and he, he completely—he's t- not here to defend it. I liked yeah. it better when it, he's got yeah. a defense for this, and I'm not acknowledging it. Oh, I see. Well, I see. You can come on the show. <laughs> An epic uh, episode of uh, it argument. Yeah. So, um, yeah. They even I, used the kid from Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, I ended up enjoying it, and um, I liked. Chapter one, more than chapter two. Really? Yeah. Okay. By a pretty, I would say a, a, a good stretch. I just, I liked it more. And that's not the, I, I thought the casting in the second was like eerily and spooky good in terms of like having those adults and kids so yeah. well cast Some of them each looked other. like the kids. Yeah. Pretty, uh, yeah. A couple of them. That was really, really, really I think Ben impressive. particularly. Yeah. I was like, that is the most believable adult. Yep version of the kid exactly. actor I've ever seen. Well, and Stan too. I mean, Stan, he, oh yeah, Stan he, he's, was perfect. He's, he's only in it, right? Because, and, But like, man, it just seems like he literally just like smash cut to 30 years later, 20, uh, 27 years later, right? Where it's like, yeah, wow. It was really... So yeah. the thing that stands out is like the big issue for me. The bugaboo about the whole thing is, and and I haven't read the book, right? So I'm I'm claiming and acknowledging my ignorance of it, right? But this is why I've come to the, I've come to consult the master. So, um, 
they okay so this is going to be spoilers right obviously it's going to be spoilers uh, yeah about yeah. it and it chapter two all right so, so warning here parker and i are capable of jumping at any time about any movie yeah and spoiling it so yeah. if you haven't seen it this will or definitely the be rise of skywalker <laughs> or <laughs> yeah attack of the kitten i don't know this will definitely be spoilers for kitten. for it and there's no way of knowing where it'll go yeah uh because we do tangents sometimes, at least in our conversations outside of the podcast. Yeah. So the I think, thing I think the the podcast is, is pretty... over. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> no no no. I we're oh. I mean the we we've gone. We're oh, past yeah. recording talk now. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. We yeah we segued out of that, but you let Hold the on. charge on that. I gotta. I, don't don't just turn it off if you don't want spoilers. Fast forward to the end. Listen to the music. Yeah. That's good fine. good plug there. Good. <laughs> Good plug there. Okay. Um, this is As an opportunity were. for your listeners to get to know more about you, right? Well, and that's, that's what I idea. I appreciate that that's in the, the podcast that I listen to. I do too. Okay. And you too. Yeah. Let's learn about this co-host who likes you it. Okay. So the thing for me that stands as a discrepancy is um, how does Stan know enough when he gets the letter? Right? He gets the letter, or is it the phone call from Mike? Phone call. It's a phone call. And he writes a letter. Okay, yeah. He gets a phone call from Mike, and Mike's like, you guys need to come back. And everyone kind of has like this, like, ah, oh, crap, I have to go back thing. But, like, they don't even remember that Pennywise exists until they're at the Chinese restaurant and they're having the conversation, right? There's like a moment where one of them goes, like, stops and, like, looks into the distance. Like, it's a just a faint little glimmer of a memory and it's like Pennywise, right? And then Pennywise like terrorizes them at the dinner as it starts to come back to them. But if they don't remember the specifics of Pennywise at all until they're in the town together, how does Stan recall or know enough to know that he has to, you know, because he has to kill himself because he knows that they'll have to be unified in order to win against Pennywise in the final thing. Like, I guess where he's like, he's, he's away, he's married, he has a life getting the phone call and him everyone else not being able to remember really any of the details but for him to know at least enough that would justify him taking such a severe action do you know what i mean not even yeah. just not going i got you but killing himself so this is this is the thing that kind of stuck out to me as as being difficult to navigate in terms of the arc of the whole story where like he ends up being in many ways kind of like this final sacrificial hero he kind of makes it happen because he you know in the in the context of the letter says that like i knew what it would take to defeat him i knew that i wouldn't be able to do that you know i had to remove myself from the equation but how would he have i guess it seems i'm skeptical that without the specific memories he would be able to commit so much to the cause you know um. like basically in the dark i guess do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't think the movie I, reconciles in that. In the book, I think that... I don't think there's any, like, noble sacrifice. Okay. He's just afraid. Interesting. So... They changed that for the movie, then? I, they changed a lot for the movie. But right. <laughs> <laughs> but judging the movie on the merits of the movie, not, okay. not from the book... I, ass uh, I assumed it was something like that. I assumed it was something so like that. They they all can remember 
something's bad. Like, they, this is bad. They kind of remember, oh, yeah, yeah. And they you know, absolutely don't want to go back. They and, know and, that yeah, they yeah. don't want this. Yeah. So Stan's experience as a kid, um, he's just, if I remember right, it's been a while since I read the book, but he he was not able to handle it as well as the others. Okay. Like, it just, and um, he had to, it seems like he walked through fear probably more than anybody and just couldn't do it again. Gotcha. Like there could be something wrong, but I don't remember any kind of like well, it, like, it was Bi not like, a, like Bill I, you guys a... won't be complete yeah. if I'm there. I'll be t the weekly. I don't think there's anything like that. It's like, uh, no, I, I'm not going back. Gotcha. Okay, because uh, just... like Bill, that makes sense because Bill has like just this natural like resiliency. Yeah, he, like, he's got he that can, leadership. He can like leadership too, and kind of bullhead his way through it. And Stan's definitely not that way. The book. Um. um yeah. Okay. Because in the movie, if I remember the letter right, Stan very much like blatantly lays out the fact that like he says something akin to like I knew you'd have to be united, and I knew yeah, he yeah. prays on. I, I, I'm I... pretty sure there is no letter in the book. Okay, oh, okay. Well, that that clears up a whole lot for me, <laughs> unfortunately. Because I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Number one, that... I, I ended up liking. So when the, my first reaction to the letter and then reading it and the reveal that Stan like chose to do that as as like a. Con not really like a contributing or necessarily a sacrifice. He just, like, it seemed like he was clued into the bigger picture enough to know that it would be a problem if he went. And so my first reaction was like, oh, that's like, I really like that. And then I thought about it for like five minutes and I was like, but wait, this is like a gigantic plot hole, a huge plot hole as to how he would know to do that. But if there is no letter and he's just like super terrified and refuses to go back or doesn't want to go back... I mean, yeah. that paints him in a different context where he may not be thriving or doing as well. They give no context about what's going on with his life, you know, except in the movie, like, they show his wife and they talk to his wife on the phone yeah. that he would have killed himself and stuff like that. The book um, certainly gives the background of his life. Okay. I think I probably... I need Let to me read tell the book. you something about... If I read the book, okay. am I going to hate the movies? I like the... I don't know, because in retrospect, if you liked the movie first... Uh, That's kind of how it goes. I huh? like the miniseries. I, I, I saw I, the miniseries before I read the book. I also enjoy the miniseries. Yeah. But it's been a really the long time since I watched it. The miniseries was notoriously complained about for being so far from the book. It's closer to the book than the new one. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm led to believe, and we don't have to get into the weeds on this. We'll save it for a different podcast. But I think the same is true for you, certainly, regarding Dr. Sleep, where, like, in the in the I'm whole fuming angry about yeah, Doctor Sleep still in the in in this in the grand scheme of like the Stephen King universe, in the movies they poke fun at Bill for like having a really poor ending to his like his his movies. Oh right, his, yeah, his yeah, books, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And it's that like seems a very a very tongue in cheek thing about Stephen King. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I caught that, but then additionally, it seems like it is very polarizing about like because you're a Stephen King fan. Jeremy is a huge Stephen King fan. Our coworker is a huge Stephen King fan, uh, and we are at odds about Doctor Sleep. You are so at odds. You are so complete opposite in terms of enjoyment or hatred of Doctor Sleep. And again, I I kind of end up being like a derpy middle guy who like <laughs> hasn't read any Stephen King but liked The Shining and loved Doctor Sleep. And after I saw Doctor Sleep, liked the movie The Shining even more. You know. <laughs> Um, I'm all worked up right now. I know, I know. I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'll have to read the book. I want to talk about this. I'll have to read the book first. Let me tell you about Stephen King. 
Let me tell you about Steve King. Tell me about Steve. I love Stephen King, but no one loves Stephen King more than Stephen King. And... <laughs> There's he... a lot going on. He has musicals. He has movies. He has books. He has HBO series. He's a busy guy. Stephen King's got a lot happening yeah. right now. He even uh, cameos in his own movies now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't mean to prick the bear, but I kind of knew it was coming because. No, no. I, I this yeah. is this is my favorite. Some of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> the book It uh, is a really, really good book that suffers from just Stephen King loving some Stephen King. Is it too long? It's too long. It's unnecessarily long. Okay. Uh, so okay, I would contrast it with The Stand, which is also extremely long. I'm which not, I also the stand is probably longer. I have also not read that. Okay, so I've I, it, I I only read the first Dark Tower book, and I didn't know it was a Stephen King book, <laughs> and I liked it, and I started the second one, but then I was like, oh dang, this is yeah. a pretty big series. There's like twenty of these. Though. Yeah, Maybe. and I was already in the middle of something else that's bigger, so I was like, okay, I'll pause that later. So I have no yeah. context of how the books compare to the movies. Um, so I haven't seen the stand. I need to. But, uh, but the, okay, so It, the concept of It, the monster itself, it's one of my favorite monsters of all time. Right. I just love the conception. I, is, the I, origin I love... of, is the origin of Pennywise in the movie accurate to what it is in the book? I don't even remember what they did in the movie. I'll tell you what they did in the movie. Okay. He's like an alien. Like they, uh, they show like this they show like this vision of like this thing falling oh, from the okay, sky yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. this big monster that's terrorizing the Native you Americans know what? I can't, and then I they can't... imprison Pennywise. No, that's, okay, that's right, that's. No. <laughs> no? Oh, okay, so that's not the origin of Pennywise. He, he might be... Well, okay, Stephen doesn't... He gets so freaking weird by the end of it <laughs> that you're like, whatever. It turns into Discworld. Like, okay. you know Discworld books by yeah, Terry Pratchett? Yeah, yeah, Best, best reads yeah. ever. I love Discworld. Yep. There's a flying turtle in it, okay? Yeah. Flying through space. Okay. And I can't p picture it without there being four elephants on its back. Okay, okay. But yeah, it gets weird. It is essentially some kind of ancient evil entity that, that its true form is is called the deadlights right uh, which they cannot it gets so weird there it'd be everyone always complains about the way it movies end how they kill pennywise at the end well they can't put this into film it, it's just too i mean so he dies differently in the books yeah okay i gotta read the book now dang it I okay well, let me warn you about this. the book it, it's yeah. there's a lot of it it is very good he just likes to go on some tangents and this book gets goes to a place I don't like. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I think I'm aware of what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I like, because the, like it's, it's hard to. It, that comes up a lot, just in terms of it's like, the number one criticism of the yeah, book. I think yeah. nobody so, likes that part. Nobody understands. Here's the other thing about it. I'm aware there that is it's no a thing. reason for it to be there. I'm aware it that it's a adds, thing. It, in fact, contradicts the whole arc of all these character stories because right. he claims they needed this experience to help them. Um, mature into the next, get past all this, right? right? And I'm like, well, what about the experience of being terrorized by this evil clown entity for <laughs> that yeah. they, as a group of kids, managed to overcome their fears yeah. and defeat this thing with their their bravery? Yeah. And then they had to. Yeah. Oh no, no, it couldn't <laughs> be completed yeah. until they. You don't have to talk about it, but I'm I'm aware that yeah. that's a thing, yeah. and I you know, I can reconcile either skipping that or just acknowledging that it will be a thing and being like yeah whatever i mean you know it's, in terms of, it's in terms whatever. of the pacing and it being long 
I'm really not deterred by that at all. I mean, you know that I'm uh, I'm on like book seven of the Dune series yeah, yeah. right so, now. Yeah, so, so I I can commit. I can commit, Chris. Gosh, you're making my ADD go off. Like, <laughs> okay, let's stay on this for a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dune. Okay. Yeah. Contrast with the stand is also extremely long, and I feel like the stand flows really well, and there's nothing I'd really take out. There is one. Th uh, there's like an, a long, uncut version of the stand, which is the one I read. And when I read what was the addition to this to that version, I could have lived without it. Okay. I think let the editor do their job, Stephen, is what I say. Right. Um, it has some extra weight that just feels unnecessary. That that makes it kind of a slog. That's otherwise a really cool book. Okay. And then some weird stuff, but uh, Doctor Sleep, I think is it is by far my favorite Stephen King book, and it does not suffer from any of those things. Everything in the book feels necessary to the story, hmm. and it's eerie. It's it's cool. It's it, I enjoyed the entire thing. Right. And even that horrific scene with the baseball kid. Right. Uh, which they in the movie see I in the book it was just like that. A grizzly. Uh, I did feel like it helped the book. Then it was more necessary to the book than the movie. I gotcha. Uh, I get what you're saying. My, I love Doctor Sleep, the book, and I the movie. So I know they're gonna change movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, so I'm not I'm not upset of what they changed for the movie. It necessarily some of it. It's like why, you know? Right. But I don't really care that much because th they just do movies. Never right accurately. So would you say that the movie for Doctor Sleep? also change things unnecessarily or the, if they had been more tr like truer to the book it would be a better movie okay well yes however they to make it a sequel to the shining the movie they had to change the book oh okay it could not work because the original uh the jack nicholson shining movie right. uh which stephen king hated right had a pretty significant change from the book extremely significant and they wanted they the this movie is a sequel to both the book and the movie somehow yeah right? it like reconciles them into one so they had to make some pretty big changes so okay what can i spoil don't spoil anything i'm going to read it okay i know i'm going to read it then i'm not going to spoil anything yeah. we'll have a follow up i will tell you this where so i've read it the changes that were necessary to make it fit into the movie didn't bother me at all in fact that was my favorite part of the movie Okay. The unnecessary changes absolutely pissed me off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I can't tell you what those are. That makes a lot of sense. Book. We'll have a follow-up episode yeah. when I've read it, because I'm at the tail end of what I'm reading now, and I need, I'm need i looking for the next thing to dig into. My wife, um, she finished Dr. Sleep right before we went to the movie. Okay. Because I, I was like, you're going to like this. You should read this book. And she's like, well, should I before we see the movie? And I said, yeah, because there's no way the movie is going to live up to this book. So she came back. Gotcha. And I was like, she sent me a text when she finished it, and I was like, "There's no chance she's gonna like this movie." Because <laughs> she said it was a perfect book. Oh, and so when she went to see it, did she have the same response? Not like the movie. She hated the movie more than me. Ah, okay. I was like, I was, you know, my initial thing was, well, that was a fun movie. I was, you know, whatever. I, I liked this about it, whatever. But the more I thought about it, like. No, yeah. I don't even ever want to see it again. I I'd rather you. read the book again, and I, I rarely read book twice. But I got you. Uh, she 
was not so slow to to develop hatred for it. She like was angry. She was distraught after the movie about how okay stupid it was. Yeah, it makes <laughs> me really. It makes me want to read it just so I can know what the hubbub yeah. is about. Well, here's the thing. Jeremy has read it. Yeah. However, I know he's read it long ago. He read it like when Stephen King wrote it, just like 2013 or something. Yeah. Uh, so he probably doesn't remember a lot of like the details or whatever that would bother. But I'm not mad about details. Like I'm mad about, um, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I would have liked it. I probably would have liked it more if I hadn't read it. And then read the book. I don't know because you know, it's like Jurassic Park. It's one of my favorite movies. I read the book after I saw the movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, but man, that book is so or that movie is so far from the book. Yeah, but I imagine a lot of people were probably really. I get what you're saying. Unhappy. Had you read the book and then seen the differences, you'd be able to go like, why change that? When why I when I read this? the book, I I asked myself, I'm like, be honest. Would you have liked the movie? And I, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I might have hated it I because get I was hoping for this, but having seen the movie first I, the book doesn't make me not love the movie it's similar with me they're great they're it, both great yeah it's similar with my opinion versus my uncle burke's opinion about lord of the rings we uh, both we both love the books yeah i love the movies he thinks they're an abomination <laughs> he he loathes them you know and you know yeah for me there's like a pure acknowledgement of knowing where those changes were made and feeling like they were just great I love the movies. I thought the movies were great. But he stabbed right in the heart. Like, <laughs> so, so upset at, like, a ton of things. Yeah. With, uh, like, the Peter Jackson, yeah. you know, Th Lord of the those, Rings. Those Lord of the Rings people that, that the way they feel about the movie, the, the ones that are, yeah. like, the book loyalists that, yeah. you know. That's Aaron's reaction to Dr. Sleep. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can now picture it where it's, like, yeah, I totally get An that. An abomination. Yeah. This is the worst. How dare they? Yeah. Yeah. Which a lot of the arguments he makes I think are like very reasonable, 100% reasonable. But I'll tell you. I'll for tell me, you. I just like compartmentalize it and go, they're different. Yeah, me too. I, 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 love, like... I love the movies. Yeah. I like the books. Okay. I don't love the books as much as a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but That's another point too. But, uh, I, I, I like. I like them. I'm at the ceiling of like at the, you know, at the floor of love. Yeah, in, <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In, okay, you know what I mean. That's fair. Yeah, he like whoosh, all the way up. <laughs> you know, he's like bouncing on the ceiling of how much he loves them, and it's awesome. And he also he's also dug into all the other supplementary material as well. He's like the oh, most yeah. knowledgeable, like the Cimmerillion and stuff. Yeah, beyond that too, because okay. I've also read the Cimmerillion, which is good, but like even beyond that, he's like he is. I a Lord you. of the Rings scholar. It's really impressive, but man, you don't want to get caught well, off yeah, guard. Yeah, then then the movies probably would upset. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand. Yeah, because I mean, there's even things that are in the movie that mean absolutely nothing to me that have huge ramifications for how they connect to like what happened a, th a thousand years earlier to characters <laughs> I didn't even know exist or something. You know? Yeah. And I, ultimately, though, at the end of the day, regardless of my opinion or his opinion. I think it's really cool that it's fleshed out to that degree and that you can even have like the fandom develop that much. So, yeah. Let me tell you uh, something about Dr. Sleep because it's not, it's, I think it's a little different for me than like something that deep, right? right, that, right. That, that It's not a fandom. It's not like I, that I kind of you. a reaction, but what you have in horror a lot is there's a lot of sadness in horror. I'm not someone who likes a sad drama. You know, I like 
good horror. I like right. crappy horror. I like a lot. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I, I just like scary things. I always have since I was a little kid, man. Yeah. I like anything that scares me. Um, but the sadness in horror movies doesn't hit me in the same way it does in like a sad drama, right? I like, gotcha. Okay. So I felt like Dr. Sleep was an extremely sad movie. Okay. It, it was creepy and all that. And that, that's cool. But I guess we're what I struggled with and especially my wife was that the book is not a sad book. I'll just put it that way. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, there's sad parts right. or whatever, but the book, it really, I felt like leaves you with a very positive feeling about the world and oh, okay. life, the universe and everything. Gotcha. And the movie gave me the exact opposite feeling. Ah, so that's, that's where the movie fails for me. It's not so much that it's different from the book or that they changed this or that, but I, I do feel like to they ought to totally be delivering the same impact. I get what you're you saying. Know? So the discrepancy is a lot like those it's other things opposite. are certainly there, but like the tone polar is, opposite is taste in my mouth ah, at the end. Okay. I, I get what you're saying now. So aside from that, I loved the casting. I loved the acting. I thought Ewan McGregor was great and I loved uh, Rose the Hat. Yeah. Can't think of the actress's name. Rebecca something. Mm -hmm. She was awesome. Yep. She was incredible. Just don't like the movie <laughs> so, yeah i understand yeah. it makes sense I, I mean we'll have to do a follow-up when i've read it because yeah i'm convinced that i'm going to if i'm if there's ones to dive into i want to i want to read it and i want to read dr sleep just so i can have better context of the nuances <laughs> of, of your, your arguments with jeremy <laughs> <laughs> it will help fill in the gaps at least just on that yeah yeah because there's some passion in those arguments that is just hard to Hard to describe. But, and you know. you'll have the backwards approach with Dr. Sleep in having seen the movie. And, yeah. you know, maybe you can separate the two better than I can. <laughs> maybe it'll be like Jurassic Park for you. Or like, yeah, yeah the book was good, but, dude, the movie was awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's probably something to be said about that. If you, if you watch the movie first and then you read the book, you're probably able to be more forgiving of the movie versus having read the book first and then read the movie. Or, or read the book first and then watch the movie, you know? I think definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because your lens of objectivity is kind of skewed differently. That's why I try to really think honestly about Jurassic Park. What would my reaction be? I don't know. I think By there's the way, a good chance I hate that movie, though, if I had read that book first. That was, just to break the fourth wall here, one of my favorite sentences ever. It's like, if I have to think objectively <laughs> about Jurassic Park. Is that what you said? Was it objectively? <laughs> Probably. I, we'll have to... Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, if I have to think honestly, if I have to have to attempt Jurassic some honest Park, thinking. Yeah. I see. I immediately forgot what you said because I was so enamored with the fact that you had said it. Because it's like, you know, if I really have to break down the emotional crisis inside me <laughs> and the dilemma about Jurassic Park, you know, <laughs> you know, it's deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Off my chest. Um. No, All right. not really. I mean, I I guess I would be interested to know if, uh, you know, Chris and I could talk all day long. We have a lot of interest in the things that we don't have interest in. We both find also intriguing. So we we could chat all day about this. So I appreciate the opportunity and platform to just nerd out about stuff like that. But I would be interested if your viewers found or find the talking about, you know, production or recording useful and if they had any like specific questions in terms of advice regarding technical aspects in terms of gear like what to buy what would be reliable in different price ranges and or 
you know, specifics on other techniques and stuff, you know, if, if that's something just from my own curiosity that that is seen as beneficial, I'd like to know, you know, and if not, we could just focus on it and, uh, all the other <laughs> stuff more, you know, more, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. Oh, that's a good point. I think it's cool so, you have a platform and you have like a building a community and they're like engaged and interested. Yeah, please uh please email me if you do have questions or comments to Parker or about the episode. You guys know how the deal is. Yeah. Uh, anything you got to say, but I will definitely be having you on again if you're okay with it. Yeah, I, mean, I like this. I always love nerding out about gear and recording and yeah. all that and also, you know, whatever we're interested in the moment yeah i like this i think we're gonna do this once in a while like i say if uh, those of you who don't like this and you're like where's my show <laughs> this is not <laughs> chill out next next episode will be normal like one in every 20 yeah. episodes or something oh, i don't right. get i don't make that many episodes no oh, man five. i want to talk to you more often than that <laughs> but uh At the maybe a couple times a year readers, you know yeah. Yeah. yeah cool i don't know i don't know what their reaction is yeah. <laughs> if they just don't say anything, then you the, do what you want. The listeners are going up, so, you know, the, I mean, the count on the each episode gets bigger. Cool. And then the old episodes are constantly being listened to. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, somebody's listening. You're finding your people, classical guitar composers. Oh, they're out there. <laughs> they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. I've never... Uh, I don't go to things, you know. What yeah. I mean? So like, there, there is like, you know, there's a classical guitar society around. I'm not a get involved type of guy. Let me put it that way. Well, you're you're doing it on uh, your own terms. You're a getting involved guy, but you just you're introverted. And you want to do it in your own way. So you're getting involved and you're putting it on the internet so you can do it all in the safety and comfort of your own home. Yeah, with a glass of iced tea. Exactly. And, uh, Which yeah. is a bummer. We didn't well, have put, ice, We didn't have the iced tea. Your yet. studio has a severe lack of iced tea. It, it's true. I, next time it's I come true. over. Uh, I open. used to. <laughs> I used to have a lot of iced tea, but not recently. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, you know, y yesterday I just found out it was International Pipe Smoking Day. Yeah, you told me about that today. I missed it. And, you uh, missed it by one day. Yeah. Right? It's not too late, right? I, uh, I wonder I, if there's a nice tea so day. So Chris and I Chris and I had to get set up for this recording session um, two uh, two days ago. What day is it today? Two uh, day, yeah, it would have been yeah, Wednesday. Oh, yeah, Wednesday. Uh, and... Uh, it was picturesque. Our uh, studio is, our, our door faces like our parking lot where we park, but then right outside that there's like a, there's like a lake and a golf course. And it's been so frigid cold, <laughs> but I, um, we had like a full day of work and then we were coming back in the afternoon, evening to get ready for this session. So we both kind of, I go home and go get some food with the family and I drive up and I've listened to my, I'm listening to an audio book and I walk up to the door and then I hear you know, Chris say something to me, like, and I pull my headphones out and I turn out and the dude is like, he's sitting, he's like reclined sitting with his leg up against a tree, smoking a pipe, like watching the sunset over this lake slash golf course. And it was like, first off, I don't know. Life is beautiful. There's no reason for anyone to have described you. I think if I'm the only other person who's been on the podcast. Oh yeah. Um, Chris is you know I I'm gonna say this real quick I know other guitarists I could have guitarists on the podcast but you all know how to play guitar <laughs> yeah like, I think it'd be more helpful anyway, sorry that's an interesting that. point yeah. but I don't know this isn't that guitar or playing technique show there, sure are there are other shows for yeah. that there are other shows I'm sure there are people who are listening who know you in real life 
right, as I do. Uh-huh. But for those of you who don't know who Chris is, like he is one of my favorite people to describe to other people. Because <laughs> number one, we're buds. We're friends. We have – there are things that we have in common, like uh, that we talk about, that like things we had in common long before we met, like this burning love for Dune. We can talk all day about Star Wars. We, ha- you know, There are things that we share in terms of musical taste, but ultimately we, we also have – very different taste in terms of music but again we find what each other what, what i find what chris is interested in pretty interesting so likewise the, the more i've gotten to know chris the funnier he is to describe to people so i was, I was talking to i'm really good friends with both my uncles sam and burke i mean they're they're like brothers they're like friends so i talk to them regularly and i was like you gotta meet this guy i work with no like, well, <laughs> it's like first off he he's got a ponytail and a beard okay Shaves it into a goatee when it's when it's warm outside. The dude loves to disc golf. He has a Grateful Dead tattoo, and he's a classically trained guitarist and composer. And they're like, "This is this is wild." It's like he loves Dune. He drinks sweet tea, and we no no whoa, whoa. unsweetened unsweetened. Yes, sorry. He drinks unsweetened tea. This is a very reputation specific thing. And room. I was like, and he smokes a cigar while we disc golf. He's like the <laughs> coolest guy. You know, and then when we were, well, I was talking to Chris, and I was like, "So, what got you into disc golf?" He's like, "Well, I actually liked real golf, but it was too expensive." And then find out he would like go in sand—was it sandals or flip flops or just barefoot? I can't remember what you oh, said. Yeah, for real golfing. For real golfing, I would wear a pair of sandals and then take them off. Yeah, on he, the course, barefoot, barefoot, barefoot golfing with his shirt off, like tucked yeah. into his back pocket, and you know, I—it's just it's how it's meant to be played. It's just some of my favorite things, like. He, he treats himself to a cigar while we disc golf, and we talk about Dune and how he <laughs> both hates and loves deadheads. It's like <laughs> you're an enigma, and I love it. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. Funny in every endearing good way, by the way. Yeah, yeah this no, is thank not a, you. It's not a, not a poke fun thing. You're just like it's pretty really, accurate. Yeah. And I was like, and he, he has power rankings for his favorite horror movie franchises, and they change. They change all the time. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not locked into one thing. Yeah. Right? I'm willing to be persuaded <laughs> to the other side. And anytime, anytime a new Halloween movie comes out, the power rankings all have to change because the context of all of them change. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I really like, uh, I like it when you have occasion to bring me on your podcast. So Yeah, thanks for doing it. It's been fun. Yeah. Um, cool, man. I guess now after enduring all of this, horrible talk between us they'll enjoy a really awesome piece of music right <laughs> yeah uh not having the audio queued up i think andrew had written a prelude oh um, nice but we'll find out for sure uh so when i get home i'm gonna add it in very cool a uh, little behind the scenes peek here <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's to come yeah nice no no i had it right here in my back pocket here's a yeah there you go Okay, well, thanks, Parker. This has been really fun. I would like uh, any reaction that the audience has. uh, And really, if the other, if the true reaction is like, I hate it, we hate this, this sucks, we're here for a classic guitar, I, number one, will not take offense because I get to have conversations like this with Chris all the time. I, yeah, if you do feel that way, yeah. uh, email it. I am going to read it on the next episode if, either way. so. Oh, man, maybe uh, my last episode on here would just be reading terrible anger. reviews of my episodes. <laughs> yeah, and I would find that – I really, I would find that pretty funny because I, I understand how wild it is that you're – you're making a guitarist composer's podcast, and then we always end up talking about horror movies yeah. and 
talked about Queen, and I'm sure there are people. Hopefully, there's like-minded people who have as weird or diverse interests. But if not, totally understandable. Yeah, I I try to talk a little more guitar on the normal episode. Um, But I mean, how much can you talk guitar? I guess if I brought on another classical guitarist, we could go on about like what the best Mertz piece is, or yeah, you know, you brought up a good point though when you're like, if you brought another guitarist, but your audience are people who are. They're or they already play guitar. You know what I mean? That's a it's an interesting point because yeah, you know there are other podcasts that that cover these bases. Mm, this gotcha. is this is this is the only one that features your music, guys. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and it's definitely the only one where you get this kind of supreme content. Uh, you know, celebrity guests, celebrity uh, local guests, wow. friends. No, no, I was. Not you. I was talking about that time Ozzy Osbourne was oh, on my podcast. Perfect. I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, well, good. I was confused. Yeah, World Buds, you know, he was yeah. in town. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Parker. Yep. It's been been a pleasure. Yep. Till so, next time. Appreciate your time. Yeah. All right. And now let's move to the final portion of the podcast that is the reason I know you're all here. And uh, it is time to push pause. Get yourself that glass of iced tea. You've probably had to refill a couple times at this point. But, uh, and let's check out this piece from Andrew Aylward, featured earlier on episode six, making an appearance again. Thank you, Andrew, for your email and for this piece and being a listener. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy.
And there it is. We've just heard music by Andrew Aylward. And uh, I hope you have enjoyed the show today. I want to thank you very much for joining me. I want to especially thank my guest, Parker Robinson. And until next time, keep on playing.